0: Hanshi, Steve Kaufman here. Welcome to Hanshi's World. I am honored this evening to have with me and to be sitting in the presence of Rabbi Benzion Krasnyansky, the spiritual leader of the Upper East Side Chabad House, the Schneerson Center for Jewish Life in Manhattan. Rabbi Krasniansky is going to talk to us about certain ideas and certain philosophical aspects of Jewish life and we're going to spread this around the world. Now many of you know me as Hanshi in the martial arts world, a lot of you know me as Kaufman, the author of this that and the other thing, but you're going to probably see another side of me tonight, but I am not going to interfere with what the rabbi has to say. I'm going to ask questions, we're going to have a conversation here. It may Upset of a great number of you that are watching the show, and it may illuminate a great number of you that are watching the show. And again, as you know, you have any questions or you have any comments, you got me. SFK422gmail.com, and of course, www.hanshi.com. But we're going to just get straight ahead with this. Uh, Rabbi. Uh, and stop me at any time you want. I'm sure you will. <laughs> okay, you're one of the few people that I pay attention to and listen to. Okay, uh, Tell us a little bit about the Chabad House. Tell us a little bit about your influences and how the Schneerson Center for Jewish Life came about.
1: Well, firstly, Stephen, thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you. And, okay. And thank you for doing your show. Um, you know, you were, you were born with a gift of... You know, enthusiasm is contagious, and your enthusiasm for, for life and for the for the, the deeper meaning of life, and you're sharing that with your audience. So God bless you, and uh, you should go from strength to strength
0: to reach a wider and wider audience. Thank you.
1: Chabad is an actual actually an acronym for three Hebrew words: chachma, Bin daas—wisdom, understanding, and knowledge—or in other words, education, education, education. You know, it's all about awareness. It's all about um, a person could be a billionaire, but if you never learned how to write a, w- a withdrawal statement, <laughs> you could be starving to death, homeless, walking around okay. in tatters. That's right. So, you know, to us, it's there's an innate every Jew has an inheritance. We have this uh, this soul, and unless you learn to tap into it, unless you're aware and you appreciate what you have and the gift that you have, then, you know, you can make your life so much richer. Imagine Bach and Mozart oh. growing up in a home without a piano. <laughs> that would make for a very miserable human being because mm-hmm. you have all this nuclear energy inside of you mm-hmm. and you, um, you don't have any output. And, um, you know, most Jews today, due to no fault of their own, grew up in homes without piano. They right. never had a single... They grew up without having a single positive and meaningful Jewish experience, something that really resonated, that talked to them in a, in a deep way, you know, the Bar Mitzvah was more Bar than Mitzvah. And, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and uh, that's what Chabad, Chabad is, it's a Chabad house where everyone feels welcome. All we ask is check your labels at the door. It yeah, <laughs> doesn't matter if you're right. Orthodox or conservative or Orthodox. <laughs> a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. That's right. We all have, we all have an Eshamah, we all, what makes us a Jewish, we have a Jewish soul. And we just ask everyone to come in a non-judgmental environment, if you're welcome, you not judge and come and take whatever level you're at, as long as we go forward. Never judge a book by its cover. It's not where you are in the ladder, it's which direction you're which going. Direction? <laughs> you know, as, as long, like anything that's organic, anything that's alive, yeah. is constantly growing and moving forward, from the greatest to the smallest. And that's Chabad, it's wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, awareness, education, and being able to tap into that inner richness that we have.
0: If I may, um, I, I had been involved with spiritual things prior to becoming as emotionally and directly involved with my own Judaism prior to coming to Chabad. Chabad, based on you know the uh, three terms, you know, Chachma,
1: Chachma,
0: is Kabbalistic. Essentially, talk about Kabbalah, Talk about it, not practical. I'm not talking about Madonna Kabbalah 101 here. I'm talking about like Zohar and the serious uh, mystical aspects of Hasidus. Hasidus. Um And yet, when we study this, there are so it, it appears, you know, with the 613. Uh,
1: Mm-hmm. rules and
0: regulations i mean you know to follow if you follow torah that that are like incredibly restrictive and can totally make you and i'll use a yiddish word here "mashuga," which means <laughs> cra- it's crazy making but you can get past it what i would like to ask you is with all of these restrictions and all of these rules and regulations, don't do this, do this, this, that, the other thing. Why are we so happy? You know, <laughs> you know a lot of people say, oh, you know, the Jews, this, the Jews, that. You know, yet at the same time, we celebrate life here. You know, we don't consider life to be something experienced in the hereafter. With all of the troubles, with all the problems that everybody on the planet has, What what, what is this all about, David?
1: Well, it all comes Torah down. is
0: so wonderful. Okay.
1: It all comes down to the beginning of the Torah, the very yeah. first words. In the beginning God created heaven and earth. Yeah. And that changes everything.
0: Uh-huh.
1: You know, because the difference is you know, for a Jew we have no rights. I know we're Americans, <laughs> we have the rights. We've got privileges. We're a Jew, we have privileges. Okay. Everything in life is a privilege, we have no rights. It's all privileges. You know, the difference is, like, it's like when you're in your own house, uh-huh. or if you're a guest in someone's house. If you're in your own house and someone starts bossing you around, you feel resentful, imposed upon you when you're a guest in someone's house, not only don't you feel resentful and both but you can't thank your host enough. <laughs> thank you, you're appreciative, you don't feel restricted. Well, dinner is at 7, but I don't feel like eating at 7. Yeah. Dinner is ch- chicken tonight, but what do you mean? I like, I like steak. <laughs> not only don't you feel resentful inside, you, you can't thank your host enough. Why? Because everything you have is a gratuitous gift. Your host doesn't owe you anything. That's the difference. The first thing a Jew does in the morning is when you, as soon as you wake up. You put your hands together, you bow your head, and you say, Mode Thank you. Thank you, God. To us, life is a gift. So when life is a gift, it doesn't bother us that at the 613 mitzvot, there are 365 don'ts, prohibitions. <laughs> this is not kosher, and this is not kosher, and that's not kosher. Not only don't we feel restricted and opposed upon, but before we eat something kosher, we say a blessing. We say, thank you, God, for giving me this, this gift. When we get married, we stand under the chuppah. We say, thank you, God, for giving me this, this blessing, the greatest gift of all, intimacy. Even though it's highly restricted, the Torah says there's only, only these experiences are kosher, other experiences are not kosher, and yet we don't feel imposed upon. We can thank God enough. So it changes your whole attitude. Instead, of you feel grateful, you feel thankful for receiving the blessing and receiving the gift, and then you become open for blessing. Versus if you mine it's my body, it's my life, it's my this, suddenly you feel resentful. It's never enough. Whatever you have is not enough. But for a Jew, it's a privilege. And that changes your whole attitude towards it. And
0: I look at it as blessed. I mean, there are times that I look at some of the uh, stories in Torah and I say, whoa, come on. (laughs) But I think it through and I go deeper with it. And the old old idea, of well, you know, and I'm going to use certain terminology that a lot of people refer to us with you know as well the Jews do this the Jews do that Uh, you don't know unless you're really involved with studying certain aspects of the spiritual universe that goes way beyond even anyone's comprehension okay even mine I know and I'll admit to it okay that's a little levity point is that the Torah is essentially the essence of all creation but the torah itself is so illuminating talk to me i i tell me about torah rabbi please Stephen,
1: <laughs> did you ever consider being a rabbi They make a living off of it. In In your question, you you gave half of the answer. Actually, Torah for a Jew is more than just rules and laws. Okay. Like you started saying, Torah is the blueprint of reality. And the difference is, you know, the difference is Torah basically is when you live a life with a sense of mission. You know, we have a choice in life. You can live life like a computer game, you know, it's a game meaningless nothing means anything in your game you can crash people and you start all over again because there's no consequences that's it. you live as you please There are no consequences you're not coming from anywhere you're not going anywhere there's no point there's no purpose it's all living in the moment you know being in the papers Getting as long as you spell my name right there's absolutely no sense of morality no sense of purpose no sense of mission or or the Torah teaches us that we are all like 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 astronauts who are charged with a mission. And we are sent on, on this mission in, in capsule Earth. Yeah. And when you're an astronaut, it's so delicate. Everything that you do, the slightest thing. You know, if you think the, uh, the, uh, the army is difficult. <laughs> in, in, you know, the, the astronauts are trained for years. They have to learn how to tie their shoes. They have to learn how to eat. The smallest thing could jeopardize the entire mission. You know, imagine an astronaut saying, well, it's a democracy. I'll do as I please. I'll live as I want. And meanwhile, he'll destroy the whole, the whole ship. And will all be marooned and stranded and in danger. But when you realize what's at stake, that the whole, everyone on Earth is, is, all eyes are upon you. And everyone is looking and hoping for the success of your mission. And they spend billions of dollars on NASA's 30,000 scientists who dedicated their lives just to help you fulfill your mission and you're going to throw that all away because i want to brush my teeth this way and i don't i don't like to be told what to do but it's a choice you make When you live life and you're charged with Torah with a sense of mission and purpose and every detail of our life assumes tremendous significance, not only significance for us, but significance for everyone who lived before us, all our ancestors, all their heroic sacrifices, and all our children who will come after us. And not only us, but all the heavens and the heavens of heavens and all the angelic beings, all eyes, God himself is looking at us because everything depends on us we are charged with the mission. We have to land the spaceship. We are the generation that has to land the spaceship.
0: Why is it that a lot of us uh, it's I just people in general, not only Jews, okay, have such difficulty I mean you've read some of my books and you, you looked at me sideways and I said <laughs> okay, but like why do so many people have all of these difficulties with coming to terms with what they consider their own tragedies of their own inconsequence. And at the same time, they say, well, it's your fault, it's his fault, this, I didn't get this break, I didn't get that break. Everything I do, I do for the creative power of the universe, or what we call Hashem, because this is where it comes from. But what is it that enables us to look at everything and say, this is the best I can do? Well... No, I can do a lot better and because I can do a lot better I'm telling you that if this gift was given to me then I have to ask For permission or I have to ask for direction and if I'm going to ask for direction I have to devote myself to the father who's giving this to the son I'm, I'm not getting religious with that when I do everything and I notice most Jews have the same attitude for the Creator, everything comes easy. Yeah, you have your, like, here's, a, here's another Jewish word, your miss your gas, but like which means your confusion and your frustration, but yet you seem to understand, well, this is what I've been given to do, and regardless of all the other problems and situations, this is what I do. He gives me a great living, he doesn't give me a great living. Leave me alone, I'm doing my work, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and for some reason, the rent gets paid, the bills get paid, got a buck in your pocket, you eat, you got friends, you got studies, and you still have, you know, it's like, I have a thing I say, listen, if something in your life is annoying you, get it out of your mind, deny it any authority. That way you can make room for something else to make you crazy, okay? So anyway, what is this all about? How does this come to us, how does this come to to us? To
1: paraphrase President John F. Kennedy, Don't ask what the country can do for you. Ask what what you can do do for for the country. That's the essence of our relationship with God. For a Jew, the question is not, what can God do for me? Lord, get me high.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What can I do? What do do you want? What do you want from me? What can I do (laughs) for God? What's
1: my mission? Because every one of us is an ambassador. We're indispensable. There's never been anyone like us and never will be. Every one of us is so unique. No two people look alike. Even though we all come from Adam, no two people look alike. Everyone is so unique and different, and we think differently, and we have something unique to contribute. And if God, so to speak, bothered to create us and to bring us into the universe, into the universe, it must be be so significant. (laughs) There's nothing nothing extra in God's world. There's nothing redundant. Everything is so significant because the fact that God is so transcendent and yet, he's, so to speak, he bothered the creators. This must be so significant so that even the tiniest detail, there's nothing insignificant in God's world. Everything is divine providence. How much more so every one of us. No. And, and therefore, when you live with that sense of mission and that sense of purpose, well, if I'm God's ambassador, to fulfill my purpose, I need a well-funded embassy. <laughs> so, of course, God is going to take care of all our needs. In order to fulfill what we need to do, he has to take care of his part. Because that's our choice. Our choice is not how much money you're going to make. Because the bottom line is you're not going to earn an extra penny more than was decreed in heaven.
0: Very, very, very excellent idea. That's very difficult to deal with for a lot of
1: people. But what isn't our choice? What is our choice is to fulfill our mission, our moral responsibility. Once we choose to fulfill our mission, then the one area in our life we have no control over, the blessings that God gives us, because we see you know, if you read any successful autobiography or biography, there's always that element that people call luck. Either you were born to the child, you were a child of the <laughs> founder of the company, <laughs> 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 or you met that right person at the right time. The one in a million chance he happened to be at the right place at the right time. So we know it's not luck; it's divine providence. It's coming from upstairs. Bashert. It's bashert. It's bashert. 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 Someone wants, it's gonna happen. If it doesn't want all the manipulations and the machinations in the world won't, won't do anything. Yes. Sometimes we see things just happen like that, and sometimes we try and try, and it's, nothing happens. Nothing happens. Because if Hashem wants it, it's going to happen, and if it doesn't, it's, ultimately it's not in our control. You know, you have to let go. You have to realize it's not in your control. What is in our control, and we should focus on and concentrate on, is our mission. Are we fulfilling our mission? Are we carrying ourselves? Are we God's ambassadors? Are we bringing godliness and holiness? Are we elevating, transforming this world? When we accomplish our mission, God will take care of his part. Well, this, this creates a lot because you see, you see around us.
0: We see around us in the morning uh, when we're doing our morning uh, davening, which means our morning prayers. Uh, people like... Going and said, What are you going to do today? He says, I don't know. I'm going to go to work. I'll make a living. I won't make a living. Leave me alone. I got this kind of thing. And it does get crazy making at times. And you just have to turn around and just say, Just tell me what, you know, here, I'm doing this. Do what you've got to do. Take care of the things you got to do. Which is an interesting way to like, let me lead into this next question is the idea of. The Jews being a patriarchal society. Now, a lot of a lot of people, because you know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's based. Overlook the idea that it's essentially a matriarchal society.
1: So, so the so if you, ha- you have to go. You know, you have to look at the source. Let's okay. go to the Torah, the origin. What's the name for the first woman? Eve. No, that's a English translation.
0: Oh, okay. And it,
1: it's a wrong translation because Eve okay. comes from the root word evil. 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 Eve. Really? Eve, yes. She, she's the temptress. How does, how does the Torah look at it? You? Let's roll out again. No, this is,
0: this, <laughs> be careful with this one. This is going to be tricky, man. So how do, how do we, how do we uh, come to the idea between Adam and Eve? I mean, you know.
1: Well, okay. Bring us into the... Okay, that, so let's, let's go back to the origin. You have to look at it from the inside out. Let's okay. look at the Hebrew. Uh, the first woman, her name is Chava. Chava. Right. Chava. And you said Eve. Eve. But that's Eve. a distorted translation. Because what does Eve... Evil, Eve yeah, comes yeah, from okay, evil. She's well, a temptress. Yeah, the, temptress. The, Jewish, the Jewish name for Chava, because she's the mother of all life. Only God has the ability to create. And who did he give that ability to? That gift? To the woman. We yes. make a little contribution, but it's the woman who creates. <laughs> she is the miracle of creation. The, only the woman. Only woman. Right. Absolutely. And then look again at the patriarchs and the matriarchs. What does God tell Abraham and all future Jewish husbands? Whatever Sarah tells you, you better listen. You better listen.
0: You listen. And she listen. was right,
1: and he was wrong. That's it. With Ishmael and Isaac. And this repeated again in the next generation Rebecca and Isaac. Isaac wanted to bless Esau, and Rebecca says, Oh, no. No, no. No, we have to bless Jacob. And, and Isaac agreed with her. And so too, throughout Jewish history, it was in the merit of the Jewish women that the Jewish people left Egypt, because they had faith. Ah. When they sang the song, the men sang the song, and then the women sang the song. But the women had tambourines. The men sang without instruments because they had no faith. They didn't believe they were leaving Egypt. This is not happening. The women had faith. God says, we're leaving. They packed their bags. We're leaving. And it was in their merit that the Jewish people were redeemed. And the same repeated itself later on in the desert when uh, it came to the sin of the golden calf. The Jewish women did not give of their jewelry. They didn't participate in the sin of the golden calf. Not because you can't get a Jewish woman to part of her jewelry. (laughs) (laughs) When it came came to the building, the Mishkan building, the tabernacle, the temple, the Jewish women were the first ones ones. to give all of their earrings and and diamonds. So it's because, and same thing with the sin of the spies. Uh The men didn't want to go into the land of Israel. And that's why we have a minion. Where did we learn a minion from? Ten men, because there were ten spies who spoke against And the men till today are atoning for that sin. The women had no part in that. The women had no part in that. The women agreed and they loved the land of Israel. And so too throughout Jewish history, the difference is, you know, when you live in an egotistical society versus if you live in a spiritual society. In a spiritual society, you know, the more real it is, the more subtle it is, the quieter it is. Like the foundation. No one brings an interior decorator to build a foundation. But You better make sure <laughs> that foundation is solid. You know, you look, you look at the Torah. The Torah is the holiest. It has three covers. It has a cover. Yes. Plus there's the ark with the doors. That's right. And it has a curtain. And a curtain. Three covers. Something that's intimate, something that's deep is very private and very intimate. The, the highest prayer is the silent prayer. We can talk about external things. It's very difficult to talk about intimate things, things that really but matter. Things that are very you deep. Right. You know, it's like the difference between the masculine energy and the feminine energy. You know, if I ask you a letter in a page, what makes the letters on the page? The masculine response would be I mean, writing. The ink. The writing. The ink, right. But that's that's not the, that's not yeah. the real story. <laughs> It's not the writing. Because if you had a blotch <laughs> of ink that went from one edge of the page to the other, you would have a meaningless uh, blotch. It's what's not there. It's the part that's blank, the part that's not there. That's what defines the letter. That's, but that's a more subtle, that's a feminine perspective, a much more subtle perspective. Yes. So in Judaism, Judaism is, an, is a spiritual, spiritual way of life. It's about a marriage, a relationship to God. And therefore, where does Judaism happen? It happens at home. It happens internally. It doesn't happen in the synagogue, in the public square. What happens in the public is completely incidental, external, superficial. That's the masculine energy. But where does Judaism really happen? What's the highlight of the Jewish week? Of the week is Shabbat. What happens on Shabbat? Six days a week, the warrior is out there and he's making a living, but then he comes home. And that's the highlight of the week. And who's the Who king makes, of, the the right. of the home? The queen of the home? Is, is the queen of the home is the woman. And that's why she ushers in the Shabbat by lighting the that's candle. Right. Because that, that energy, so profound, that right. energy, the light, light, just the darkness just melts away. It doesn't even do battle with the darkness. Just its presence, its being, its substance, that the darkness just melts away. That's the Jewish way, the feminine way of conquering the world versus the masculine energy. Now, the problem is what happens is that society, lost its way. You see, up until 100 years ago, people lived at home. They defined Ah, themselves. They defined themselves by their home. Making a living was a means to an end. But where was my castle? What was the pride of the eye? What was my life all about? You ask the person, who are you? It's my wife. It's my children. It's my family. This is what I'm all about. But I have to have a responsibility to make a living so I go make a living. But that's not how I define myself. And the woman was, was was the queen of the castle. Because this is the one relationship in life which is not a means to an end. It's an end in itself. That's correct. I can work 18 hours a day my career is just a means to an end. But society became very coarse and very crass and very materialistic and lost its soul. And people started defining themselves by their careers. Who are you? I'm a doctor. Really? I'm a lawyer. I'm a businessman, entrepreneur. That's who you are. That's what you do. That's what you are, not that's who what you are. That's what you do. That's it's not who you are. That's it. But when that becomes a whole definition, and home is something that you just come to park, to crash, to, to, but that's incidental. Where do I live? I live in the office. I define myself by the office. Suddenly the woman says, oh, what am I? barefoot in the kitchen, second-class citizen. Society has completely demeaned the family and demeaned the the important, the real reality of what, what's real in life. And the woman says, wait a minute, what do you mean? I can play your game and I, I can play it even better than you. But it's it's because society in general has lost touch with what really matters, with what really counts. Even when a person has a career, that's not how he defines himself. On Shabbat, you have to leave everything behind. On Shabbat, you're not a doctor, you're not a lawyer. As a matter of fact, a Jew walks in the streets without a wallet. For most people, that's a very traumatic experience because your whole identity is tied up in your wallet. But imagine leaving everything behind, all your props behind. On Shabbat, it's just about being and living. You know, it's not just working for a living, it's living and being. and being with your family, celebrating with your community, celebrating who you are, your identity, focusing on the inside, nourishing and nurturing who you are on the inside. That's who you are. That's what you're really all about. That's what life is all about. So thank God today for Shabbat. Thank God if we understand that, we understand that the the woman is much more in touch spiritually. And she's much more in touch with that inner being and essence and relationship. That's what life is all about at the end of the day. No one hugs there at the shake case after <laughs> when you're 90 years old. Who cares? I don't care how many career accolades you have, I don't care how many who cares? After 9-11, no one spoke about how much money they had in the bank. The only thing that mattered to people was what a wonderful husband, what a wonderful wife, what a wonderful mother, a sister, brother. At the end of the day, all these external things the means nothing it's the, family. it's the family. And the woman is the pillar of the family. So there's no first class, second class citizen. It's all about a relationship, we're all connected.
0: This is why one of the things people ask me, who would, who would be the best leaders in the world, you know, kind of a thing. I said, well, actually the women are the best leaders in the world because they create life. But man is very, very uh, talented when it comes to uh, destroying life, you know. So women, people said, well, if you had to go into combat, who would you take? I said, I would take a battalion of women. Why? Because they'd stop it in five minutes. <laughs> and he probably says, let's go eat. You know, so I like, a little levity there, but you're absolutely right. And I'm really glad we, uh, that you, Rabbi, cleared that up. Uh, Rabbi, I want to approach a subject now that is of critical importance. And I really believe that the world should get a good idea and a handle on this. Because as a result of this particular thing, we have been subjected to inordinate pain, stress, blah, blah, blah. I don't you know what the history is. It? And what I would like you to explain is this whole strange concept of anti-Semitism. I know that this is going to pique the curiosity and interest of an enormous amount of our viewers of Hanshi's world and why there is this incessant desire on the part of so many to destroy the Jews in plain simple English I mean I'm not not gonna like be cute here and be politically correct I'm not gonna say well certain people say this didn't happen that didn't happen that's nonsense now I am by nature a militant it's just the way I am and for those of you who know me you know that okay But at the same time, I have compassion for my fellow man. I may not agree with certain things, but this whole idea of anti-Semitism, where is it coming from? What is this whole... Well, I don't even want to use adjectives. What is this whole idea behind the destruction of the Jews? What is this all about? And why are so many Jews fearful of confronting those, and this is this is the emiss here, confronting those who would seek to destroy the Jews. And those that would be militant towards protecting our own people are held up to ridicule and held up to, like, some sort of scorn, like, don't get them angrier. Hey, I am tired of being one of them, those people, you people, you've heard the expression, you people. So I want to know why so many of our people are afraid of them. Rabbi, please. I want, I Obviously, want... you see the emotion involved with this. How, would you, how do you explain this whole absurd phenomenon? Well, <laughs> you just... Leave like,
1: that in there. <laughs> the that in there you know, you can't remain indifferent about the Jewish question. Right. Everyone has very strong opinions, if you hate or you love. The only thing you get the UN to agree on is when it comes to Israel. <laughs> 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 the Jew has the ability to unite the whole world. Yeah,
0: we'll talk about in the, the seconds you know, you Israel in a few know, Israel is the Jew yep. of the
1: world, but when, you have, right. when the Muslims and the Christians and the atheists and the third world and first world... And you, you don't hate a child, a baby. I don't care if the baby is black or yellow or red or white. Babies evoke, naturally evoke, feelings of tenderness. How could a half a million Jewish babies evoke such rage, such, you know, that the seed of the university, Germany, you know, turned into beasts, and we have to destroy this Jewish baby. A baby is not a communist, and a baby is not a socialist, and the baby is not a capitalist. All these explanations, when, when you have a hundred different people, for a hundred different reasons, hating the Jew, you say, wait a minute. There's something much, much deeper going on here. And the rabbis say in the Torah that the Sinai, another play in the word Sinai is hatred. That Sinai, the giving of the Torah, gave birth to anti-Semitism. Because like Hitler said, the Jew is the conscience of the world. And the Jew gives people a guilty conscience. And those who have nothing to feel guilty about the righteous Gentiles, the Mark Twains of the world who loved the Jewish people and wrote about the Jewish people, the Tolstoy's of the world, the Relu Wallenbergs of the world, the Sugi Harris of the world, the Paul Johnsons of the world, the good people in the world, non-Jews, righteous Gentiles, they love the Jews. Not only do they have no problem with the Jews, they love the Jews. And so many people from Madonna on, and everyone wants to have a connection to something Jewish today. That's right. But those who are arrogant or have something to feel guilty about, the Jew gives them a guilty conscience. You know, other religions, it doesn't bother them. You want to sit in the mountaintop and meditate? What does it have to do with me? But the Jew is a challenge to the world. Because the story of the Jewish people, the miraculous history of the Jewish people, the Jew, by his very being and his very presence, is the greatest miracle. You think the splitting of the sea is a miracle. All the miracles in the Bible pale in comparison to the miracle of Jewish survival and existence. Look into the mirror, you're looking at the greatest miracle. This proves that life has a moral narrative, that there's a purpose to life. Life is not a jungle. You can't just live as you please. We're going to have to answer. Every human being is created in the image of God. Every human being is going to have to answer for the way he chose to live, whether you led a moral life with integrity or not. So the Jew is a challenge. To every human being and therefore you can't remain indifferent and that's the that's the the soul the the conscience of the world now we the Jewish people took upon ourselves a thankless task at Sinai we were designated to be the teachers of the world now children naturally young children naturally hate that teacher the teacher disciplines them a child would, would rather run around carefree the teacher comes and says, you got to learn, and you gotta, I'm going to teach you piano, and I'm going to teach you math, I'm going to teach you science, philosophy. The student is not interested, and that's normal. It's healthy, a healthy child, it's couldn't care, It's not interested. So the teacher is his enemy. One day, the child will grow up, inevitably, and the child will realize, my teacher is my best friend. What was his message? He taught me how to appreciate the finer things in life. He ennobled my life, he enriched my life, he elevated me instead of being a brute, instead of living like a brute, he taught me how to live like a mensch. And suddenly the teacher becomes your best friend. The Jewish people know that one day, and it's happening before us, before our very eyes, one day the world will grow up, and the world will realize, and the world will welcome the Jewish message, because it's the only decent way to live, to live like a mensch, to live a moral life, an ethical life, a spiritual life, a godly life. And when you live that life, it's the most fulfilling, enriching type of life. So we knew we took upon ourselves a thankless job. And the answer is, we're not going to pretend that we are just one of you, one of, just like, just a student. Our mission in life is not to be popular. It's not, life is not a popularity contest. Our mission in life is to be a light, of, a light unto the nation, to be the teachers of the world, the spiritual guides of the world, to be the prophets of the world, the nation of prophets. And when we act as the teacher, and live up to our responsibility, then, not only, won't be in the anti-Semitism, but the world will give the Jewish people and give Israel a standing ovation, and will do whatever they can, ever in their power, they can, to help the Jew fulfill his mission, to be a light unto the nation, and the whole world will be elevated, and the Jew is the only one who has the ability to unite the whole world. You see it in anti-Semitism. You see how, The Jew unites the whole world. So we have the ability to unite the whole world, to elevate the whole world, to live up to the highest standards, to live up to the right to become righteous Gentiles, to live up to the seven Noahide laws, just like we have ten commandments. In the Torah, you have the seven universal commandments. Every human being is a a, uh, descendant of Noah. Noah was a non-Jew, and he was God's best friend. And he single-handedly saved the world. Because him and his family, although the world was so hopelessly corrupt, maintained their integrity and lived a moral, ethical life. Because every human being is created in the image of God. That's why Jews don't try to proselytize. We discovered proselytization. Because you don't have to be Jewish to be connected to God. Every human being plays an indispensable role and has a divine mission to be a righteous Gentile. And our mission is, by personal example, first and foremost, by leading a Jewish life, a godly life, to inspire all 7 billion people, all 70 nations, to live up to their God-given potential and live a life of justice, of morality, of genuineness, of goodness, of kindness. And, you know, if you open your eyes, it's happening before our very eyes.
0: That's a wonderful thing, what you have just said. Uh, The responsibility that we have to the world... Is predicated on us accepting the responsibility we have to ourselves as Jews and the responsibility we have as Jews to the Creator of the universe. You cannot get away from this. Everyone, everything, is a direct emanation of the creative aspect of the universe that wants us to do what we need to do to satisfy the wants of the Creator. I would like to move a little uh, sideways over here. And I know that we're going to get a certain amount of response to this, okay? And this is okay, because as I said before, without throwing down a glove here, this is it. This is it. it." I'm sure that a vast majority of the people on the planet have heard of a book called The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Now, this is essentially the anti-Semites Bible. It is, and I say this without due respect, this is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard of or read. I think it was originated in Russia by the Russian secret police or something because uh, they were having issues with something that they couldn't understand or control. The Protocols of Zion specifically points out things like the Jews control the world and they have to be stopped. The Jews control the finances of the world. The Jews control the media. The Jews control everything. Well, if the Jews controlled everything, I would imagine that we would not put up with the nonsense that we have to put up with based on the people who do not understand their own responsibility to themselves. Rabbi, would you like to uh, illuminate us a bit about the protocols of the elders of Zion? Uh, I'm not going to mention names, but there are some significant Americans who were very, very deeply involved with the propagation of this. Idiocy. Of this idiocy, all right.
1: Um, You can't help uh, just visiting the internet. You can't help but bump into bump into into all all these all these uh, theories, conspiracy. Uh, uh, Please, uh, you know, we we can't even control our kiddush committees. (laughs) We're controlling the world. Yeah, two
0: Jews, three opinions, right?
1: (laughs) But I'll tell you, um, anyone who knows anything. The ABCs of Judaism knows how ridiculous these conspiracy theories are. You know, what's really behind all these conspiracy theories is that there are a few individuals who control everything, you uh-huh. know. Everyone is their puppeteers, and they pull all the strings, and they're in charge and control. And Anyone who knows ABC of Judaism, the beginning of Judaism, Mount Sinai, god spoke to three million men women and children equally it wasn't a handful of people that were in charge and they were in control and they told everyone the way it is No, if god spoke to everyone equally the mitzvah in the torah the primary mitzvah in the torah is to educate your children every jewish child has to be fully educated has to be aware those who espouse conspiracy theories, those who believe in conspiracies and believe in control, try to dumb down the society. In order to control society, you have to withhold information, you have to control information, you have to manipulate information. Judaism is the exact opposite. It has to be completely transparent, completely open. There's absolutely no ego and no power and no control. And it's the ultimate democratic, egalitarian, The whole idea that all men are created equal, that's a purely Jewish concept, because we're all created in the image of God. And there's no control, it's not about control, it's not about power. It's about being genuine, it's about the soul, and being completely open and transparent, and respect for every human being. Not those in charge who look down at the masses and manipulate and control, but there's a deep respect for all of God's creatures. Everyone plays an indispensable role in God's, in God's purpose and plan, and there is an inherent respect for Jew, for non-Jew, for all of God's living creatures. So the whole conspiracy theory is, it goes contrary to the whole essence of Judaism, which is the opposite. It's not about control. And it's not about ego. And it's not about. It's a completely open, completely transparent society. And it all depends on you, what level you want to rise to how genuine you want to be, how deep you want to be, how, how much responsibility you want to take. And it's all yours. It's your choice. Every single... The Torah was given in a desert because it's open to everyone. How much effort are you going to put in it? If you put in the effort, then you will rise. Who becomes the leader? The one who's most selfless, the one who's most egoless, the one who's most genuine, the, most, the one who has the most spiritual depth, the one who has achieved and accomplished the most. It's a completely open, egalitarian society. There's no hierarchy in the most in external sense. There's no control and manipulation. The exact opposite. And our ideal, the ideal is when the whole world will be completely open and democratic. And there will no longer be any control. That's, that is our ideal. And that's what we strive for. And that's what we aspire for. So anyone who knows the ABCs of Judaism, you don't have to be a great scholar. If You know the, the, the smallest thing about the Jewish people. It's the exact... It's contrary to everything, to to conspiracies, to to control. So you just have to laugh. It's predicated on their fear of themselves
0: and their fear of taking responsibility for themselves as well. That's a very, very... Simple and yet very direct explanation, Rabbi. Thank you for that. I mean, do you do you have anything in particular that you would say about the protocols of Zion itself as a document that's detrimental to those who would follow the, the so-called uh, data that is presented there? I'm not going to say information or knowledge. The data that is presented in the Elders the protocols of the elders of Zion, I mean, as far as the absurdity of the peace itself.
1: You know, just look in Jewish history. Look what the Torah says. Whoever blesses you will be blessed. Those who who, throughout history have blessed and have helped and have appreciated the Jewish people have received the divine blessing. Because, again, it's not about ego. It's all about fulfilling the divine purpose of life, of creation, of celebrating life. And, you know, those who... So it, let, let's speak more about the positive.
0: Rabbi, let's talk a little bit about everybody's favorite subject, especially those folks at the... Uh... The U.N., okay, which people said, well, what should we do with the U.N.? I said, well, you know, give it to Trump. He'll know what to do. He'll turn it over. He'll make it profitable. All right. Uh, Considering Israel, period. Considering Israel's position in the world and considering the importance of Israel in all of the actions of the world. I mean, you can kill 5,000 or 5 million people in a country or a culture. Nobody says anything. And to quote you, but a Jew builds a house on the West Bank, the whole world goes bonkers. Okay, Considering the uh, situation in the uh, Middle East and considering uh, the importance of Israel on the world table and considering the fact that Israel simply will not go away, uh, what do you think about a two-state solution? And essentially, will there ever be peace in the Middle East? Not necessarily with Israel, but also among themselves, them, okay? So they said, you people? Yeah, them, all right? So
1: do you think there will ever be peace in the Middle East? You have to, you have to get into the Arab mindset. You have to, we have to understand where the Arabs are coming from. There was a Holocaust in Europe. There was no Holocaust in the Middle East. The Europeans felt guilty. Um, this is the way the Arabs view it. The Europeans felt guilty. So they decided to give Jews, most of them who were from Europe at the time, European Jews from Odessa and from other places in Poland and Russia, they decided to give them a homeland. Now, imagine how Texans would feel if tomorrow we established Vietnam in the middle of Texas. From their point of view, you came to an Arab country, the Middle East is Arab country. And you decided, the UN decided to give Israel a country because they felt guilty. They didn't give them France or, or, or Germany. They gave them Arab countries. They said, go back home. You don't belong here. To the Arabs, Tel Aviv is a settlement. Israel is one big settlement. And they don't belong here. And until today, the so-called moderate Arabs refused to accept Israel, officially. They refused to accept that there should be a Jewish, that there is a Jewish presence in the Middle East. You don't belong here. So what are the wise, what's the wise response, the wise men of Oslo? <laughs> a two-state solution. And then they wonder why the Arabs don't accept it. You don't understand. You just, you just made it a thousand times worse. What are you telling the Arabs? You're right. We occupied your land. We don't belong here. We have no connection to this land. It's yours. And you know what? We're going to give you a hellhole called Gaza. The Arabs say, you take Gaza. We want Dizingarf. We want Tel Aviv. You want Jaffa. And then we wonder why the Arabs are not happy. They gave away. They gave away. They spent billions and billions, hundreds of billions of dollars. And 20 years later, nothing. We're back, we're back to square one. And they wonder, scratching their head. But we had, we had diplomacy. We had conferences. We had presidents. We had prime ministers. We had the UN and conferences. And we're back to square one. Because you misunderstand the whole issue. The reason Jews and the answer is, we have to give them the genuine answer. They are our Arab cousins. Why are we lying to them? And why are we lying to the world? It's time to tell the truth. The reason we came to Israel is not because of Balfour and not because of the UN. We came to Israel because open the world's bestseller. It's called the Bible. Three billion people live with the Bible every day. Open it. And we came to Israel because the creator of heaven and earth gave the land of Israel, and he calls it the Holy Land. London is not holy. They don't call Paris the Holy Land, and they don't call call Moscow the Holy Land. They're not Washington. There's one place on earth that's universally called the Holy Land, and that's Israel. And God says, this is my little land, this is my land, and this is where I'm going to live with the Jewish people. And God gave it to the Jewish people forever and ever and since when Joshua 3300 years ago conquered the land of Israel there's never been an independent country in Israel other than the Jewish people and when the Jewish people were gone were, were exiled was always a remnant but when the Jewish people were exiled the land shriveled up, it turned into swampland. Mark Twain describes Israel as being a swampland. The Jewish people returned. The land responds to the Jewish people. There's a soul connection between the Jew and Israel. So for us, we have to tell the truth. We are not doing the Arabs any favors by lying to them and turning them into thieves and giving them something that never belongs to them because you know what? The truth is, Israel doesn't even belong even to, to the us.
0: Jews, that's right. Israel
1: is given to us. We are. This is the king's palace. It's the royal palace. Could you imagine the chutzpah of someone coming to the royal palace and giving away his dining room and negotiating Jerusalem, the royal bedroom? God says, it's not yours. It's my land. I gave it. It's my land. And I say this land belongs to the Jewish people. So how dare anyone get up and say, I am giving two-state solution. Newt Gingrich got it right. There are no two-state solution. Every part of Israel belongs to the Jewish people. It's not ours to give up. And we're not doing the Arabs any favors by turning them into thieves and, and fanning dreams, fantasies. That will never happen. Because you know what? There never was a Palestinian people, there never was a Palestinian state, and there never will be. Not in God's lifetime. Because it's false. There's no reality to it. The reality is that every part of Israel belongs to the Jewish people forever, ever, and no Jew has a right to give it away. And the wise men of Oslo have only exacerbated the situation. By By talking about two states, they only inflamed the conflict. They completely misunderstood the whole conflict. And they completely misunderstood where the Arabs are coming from. And you know what? The Arabs are people of the book. They respect the Bible. And that's the one truth that we don't say. We give civil arguments, military arguments, and we're talking to the wall. They don't buy it. UN, Balfour. The one truth that they believe in. Open your Bible. Don't forget, Islam is the kid on the block. Islam is 1400 years old. When Islam was founded, the Jewish people are already 2000 years old. We went through two commonwealths. Can you imagine someone coming and rewriting rewriting American history? Uh, George Washington wasn't American. You can't come 2,000 years later and rewrite history. So we have to speak the truth. And when the Arabs will make peace with the Jewish people and help the Jewish people fulfill their destiny and fulfill their mission, the Arabs will be blessed. And you ask, is there going to be peace in the Middle East? I'm more optimistic for peace than the most starry-eyed you know, leftist fanatic. Because democracies don't go to war. It's only a matter of time. The information age has, this has brought an end, the collapse of communism. And we're seeing today the information age is revolutionizing the whole Middle East. It's only a matter of time that all these dictators and despots and Arab Nazi regimes which raise their children with hatred for the Jew. A Jew is not allowed to even travel to any of these countries. And they will go, the way of history, just like the way of communism. It's only a matter of time, it's already happening. It already happened, and it's happening. And once information spreads and democracy spreads, democracies don't go to war. So we Jewish people, we have to be strong, and we have to say, don't insult my intelligence, and don't waste my time. When you turn democratic, and you live at peace with your own citizens. And then, we'll, then there will be genuine peace. But Israel and every part of Israel is the eternal inheritance of the entire Jewish people. It belongs to every Jew that ever lived. It belongs to every Jew that's alive today, anywhere in the world. And it belongs to every Jew that will live. We are just the caretakers. No one would come and dare suggest to Saudi Arabia negotiate Mecca. Because they'll say, we're just the, we're just the guardians. We're just the caretakers. It belongs to all Muslims all over the world. Well, Israel belongs to every Jew that ever lived, every Jew that's alive, anywhere in the world, and all future Jews. It's not ours to give up. Not an inch of it, not a half an inch. And that's when you'll have peace. When you speak truth and tell the Arabs the truth because they can handle the truth. People can't live with lies. With the information age, the world is becoming allergic to lies. Two-state solution is the biggest lie, and it has led to death terrorism. It has exacerbated the conflict. Israel today at its doorstep has the, the greatest breeding ground of terrorism in Hamas town, right in its backyard. And it has hundreds, tens of thousands of missiles in every direction faced at it. And Iran is busy building a nuclear weapon. It hasn't brought peace. By us lying to the world and lying to the Arabs, not only hasn't it brought peace, it has only exacerbated the, 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 the conflict. If we start telling the truth, and people can live with the truth. We didn't make it up. 3,800 years of Jewish history, you can't make this thing up. It's real. It's as real as it gets. And if you tell the truth, the Arabs can handle it, and the world can handle it. So let's, have, let's start having respect for our Arab cousins, and give them a real answer, and tell them like it is, and tell them the truth. And then we'll have peace. It's
0: apropos to what Rabbi Krasniansky, the spiritual leader, Of the Chabad House, the Schneerson Center for Jewish Life on the Upper East Side in Manhattan. Uh, He has personally experienced great blessings in his life, and if I can be so presumptuous to say, you've experienced some pretty heavy duty, (laughs) terrible things in your life as well. Uh, The Jews as a people. And this is factual, and this can, be, this can be learned by anyone who seriously wants to study the reality of this. The Jews, as a people, have suffered more than any other race or culture combined in the history of the world. The Jews have suffered more than any other group. Now, there's obviously a reason for this, and yet the fact remains we're still here. We're not going away. Rabbi, why do you feel that all of this that has had such terrible, terrible consequences to our lives personally, our psyches, our ancestors, and even looms, if you will, to like be detrimental to the
1: future of our people? Rabbi, so the real question is: that What despite, is the real question? Despite all these surahs, while many people whistling past the grave, Jews celebrate life. We love life, we celebrate life in the here and now, not in the hereafter. It's all, and we who suffered more than anyone else, and we were at the brunt, we were at the receiving end, we know just how evil and how horrible reality life can be, and yet we celebrate life. That's that's the most interesting question of all. How can we be so optimistic and so joyful and so happy and so grounded and so down-to-earth and so with it and so... Positive, despite the fact that we suffered more than anyone else. And this really gets to the essence of of Judaism. You know, in in the beginning, the Torah tells us God created the world. You know, we take the status quo as being reality. Tsarist, as being being reality. But the truth is, it's not true. God created the world. The world was a garden of Eden. Essentially, what the Torah is telling us, essentially, this world is a garden of Eden. You know, we all start out as children. Children are innocent and pure, and that child remains within us. There's a place of purity and innocence, and that's our core. That's our essence. We quickly lose it. We quickly lose our innocence. That's Adam and Chava being expelled from the Garden of Eden. We grow up. We become adults. We tell our first lie. We become alienated, <laughs> alienated from ourselves. Yeah. But the truth is, that core remains. That is our true. That is a reflection of who we really are. Everything else is really a distortion. So you know, we take feeling bad as being natural because it's only the rare occasion when we feel good and we feel wholesome and we wake up and we feel... but the truth is, it's the exact opposite feeling good is really, is really the natural state because at the core and at the essence, you know why this world is so corrupt and this world is so decadent? All other religions look at this world and say, hey, either this world is an illusion, a maya, or, you're born in sin, you better quit while you're behind. <laughs> Judaism looks at the same world, at the same human being, and says, this is the holiest of all the worlds. This is the greatest of all the worlds. Because you know why there's so much corruption and decadence? Because there's so much potential for good. Because there's so much potential for good. The greater the potential for good, when that potential is not realized, it turns into tragedy. Yes. So the essence is really good. The, the potential that we have here is so profound. Why is it that man, only man suffers from addictions? When was the last time you met an animal that overate, overdosed, <laughs> overdracked? <laughs> unless they're hanging around people. Or yeah. went <laughs> over the edge on Visa and the charge, right? Unless, exactly. unless they're hanging around human beings, you know? That's it. But <clears throat> animals by nature, you know, and, and only a human being suffers from addiction. So you can look at it superficially and say, you know what? Man is a beast. Man is the worst beast. You know, they have in the, uh, I think in the San Diego Zoo, they have, you walk into, it says, world's wildest animal. You walk in, there's an empty room, but there's a floor-to-ceiling mirror. <laughs> you know? So man is a beast. Man is hopeless. Look at human nature. Look at, the, you know, look at, look at yourself. Look at, the, look at the mirror. Look at the headlines. But the truth is, Judaism looks at the same reality and says, no, you have it all wrong. You know why man suffers from addiction? Because man is essentially spiritual. Man is essentially spiritual and godly. So we hunger for something undefined, something we can't put our finger on, something, nothing external can satisfy that hunger. Not money, not power, not fame. That's why we're always restless because that's not really what we're looking for. Essentially we are godly. And we are looking for something godly. And the only thing that can satisfy that hunger is when we study Torah and do a mitzvah and we do something godly. We act in a godly way. Because until we do that, we, we, you know, something gets lost in the translation. We ourselves don't know what's bothering us, what's nagging at us. But we have this inner sense of something is not right. So every Jew has hardwired within them this vision of wholeness, of perfection. It's like when you see a painting that's crooked and it bothers you. There's no way in the world you're gonna make the painting even more crooked. Because the fact that it bothers you that it's crooked knows that you already know the way it should be. That's right. And that's why when it's off that's it bothers you. So we have hardwired within us a vision of a perfect world, of a godly world, of the way the world once was when God created it, the way the world was at Mount Sinai, and the way the world inevitably will become with the coming of Mashiach. Wow. The world will discover its wholeness, discover its completion, and that's why that's why the Jewish soul is so agitated, so revolutionary, because we're trying to create, we're trying to get to that perfection. But something gets lost in the translation. Many times, we ourselves don't know what we're hungering for, what we're looking for. But, but we can honestly look at this world with all the tsaras and all the problems, and we were at the receiving end of all the tsaras. We were the first ones to feel. It. And yet, look at this reality and saying, "This world is blessed. This world is the holiest. This world is raw potential." so ripe with potential and it's really up to us through our good deeds, every time we do a mitzvah we straighten the painting, we straighten the portrait we bring the world back to its wholeness, to its completion so we're very optimistic and the best is yet to come, we've never seen anything yet
0: yet you You think the exodus of Egypt is something? you (laughs) think
1: the exodus of Egypt is something? it's nothing (laughs) the best is yet to come, we haven't even scratched the surface
0: Talk to us about uh, Moshiach, the, the Messiah, as we as, we as Jews uh, look at the Messiah and think of the Messiah, and I am not castigating any ideas to the contrary, regardless of anyone else's beliefs. We're talking specifically about the Jewish idea of what we call Moshiach, the Messiah, it's on its way, and it's starting to make itself known in so many in so many different ways here. Uh, we have a different approach to it. And I say we, I'm talking about the Jewish people. We have a different approach to the concept of Moshiach, the Messiah. But to speak with authority, the rabbi will talk to us, Rabbi Krasniansky, talk to us about Moshiach.
1: Well, actually, the idea of Mashiach is a purely Jewish concept. The whole idea that the world will change and as a result of our actions. But what's most interesting about the Jewish idea of Mashiach, that according to Jewish tradition, according to halacha, Maimonides are, describes it as a purely natural phenomenon.
0: Natural phenomenon. Natural phenomenon. Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, okay. And that's what's the most fascinating about it. Because, you know, to us, we take the exile as being the norm. And Mashiach is being something fantastic, something supernatural, something otherworldly, something unbelievable. But the truth is, we have it all wrong. It's the exact opposite. The exile state could be best described as when you're in a dream state, when when you're asleep. You know, when you're asleep, you have eyes, you have ears, but you don't see and you don't hear. When you're awake, all your potential is awake, all your potential is actual. So, you know, the human condition is that we're asleep. Most people sleepwalk through life. Yeah. You know, if you, ask, if you ask anyone, from one to 10, how important is health in your life, 10 being the highest. Yeah, well, of course. Ten. What? 11. 11, okay. (laughs) And the proof proof is in the pudding. God forbid you lose your health. We have all these world-class hospitals here, the greatest concentration. You'll you'll bankrupt yourself. There's nothing you won't do to regain your health. I know for a fact the proof is in the pudding that being healthy is the most important thing in your life, which begs the question, why is it that most people most of the time actively lead unhealthy lives? (laughs) They don't eat properly. They're overstressed. When I know for a fact that being healthy is the most important thing in your life. And the answer is that's the human condition. We're not in touch with ourselves. We know vaguely, subconsciously, deep down, we know that I want to be healthy. But it's not a force in your life. And therefore it doesn't translate into into the way you behave. It's only, God forbid, when your life is threatened, when your health is threatened, that you're able to, suddenly it comes to the surface. Suddenly you feel the power of the will to live and you're able to cure your addictions overnight in one second because now suddenly you feel that the strength it becomes a force in your life, a power in your life, and therefore you discipline yourself. So I want to smoke, so I, want to, I want to self-destruct, I want to live. That's more important. That overrides any urgent instinct they may have. Now, that's the human condition. And what's our mission in life? Mission is to wake up. Mashiach is a great awakening. When we'll awake to our truth, to our reality, you know, if, if a mad scientist blew up some hydrogen bomb in the North Pole, and we only had 30 days left to live, God forbid, we would, people would discover themselves, perhaps for the first time in their lives. Everything that they thought was number 10, the most important priority in their life, and that moment of truth they'll discover, it barely registers. It's not even a number one or number two. Suddenly they'll discover themselves for the first time that they never really encountered themselves. They don't even know who they really are. Because we go through life, we sleepwalk through life so superficially. What we think is a priority and important, at the end of the day, it means absolutely nothing. Because we're not in touch with ourselves. The Torah and the mitzvah is about waking up. About living a life that's real and consistent with your inner truth, with your real truth, with the inner voice of conscience. And yes, it means leading a disciplined life. But it means leading a rewarding life. Because one moment of awakening, of a reality, it outweighs all the dreams. You can dream, and in your dream state you can be a billionaire, and you can be this a senator, but you're asleep. One moment of reality is worth more than all, all of that. If you're awake, and you're in touch, and you're connected, and you're in touch with your truth, with your innermost truth, and that's the most natural thing in the world. The most natural thing in the world is to live a life that's consistent with who you really are. A life that resonates with resonance. It resonates with your innermost truth. That's the world of Mashiach. That was the world that God created. It was a world where a person was in touch with himself. Your potential, your actual reflected your potential. There was no gap. Today, exile is where there's a grand canyon between your potential and your actual. You're completely out of touch with yourself. Your life is so superficial and... No way reflects all that inner richness, all that inner depth that we have within us, our <laughs> inner truth. <laughs> Mashiach is the most natural thing in the world. It's an awakening. And there'll be a moment. And it's happening right before our very eyes. You know, imagine a world where everyone is in touch with their real self, with their true self, self. not the self that we think we are. Thank God we're not who we think we are. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: I couldn't stand myself if it wasn't for who I am. You
0: know.
1: <laughs> kind of There's so much more to us. There's so much, you know. We have a piece of God inside of us. It's infinite, undefined. You know. We limit ourselves and we label ourselves, and it's so external and so superficial. That's the tragedy of the human condition. One out of a thousand realize their potential. Most potential gets wasted and lost. Oy. Mashiach will be a world where no potential will be lost. Can you imagine such a world? We all have our best friend that we think to ourselves, hey, I, like to, I like to meet him when he grows up, <laughs> when he matures. And um, so that's the world of Mashiach, and that's the most natural thing in the world.
0: Rabbi, <laughs> you and I have had conversations about like little ideas that I get, and you tell me certain things, and we look at each other, and mm-hmm, this world, this is Hanshi's world, but this is, the world, and you have just been hearing, I'm going to just say words of wisdom from Rabbi Benzein Krasniansky, the spiritual leader of the Schneerson Center of Jewish Life on the Upper East Side, Manhattan, Chabad. Uh, Without making this a, uh, you know, like, gee, it's great and this, and wow, we had a good time, I just want to ask Rabbi if you would just say a few words before we... Call it a rap. Give us some (laughs) departing words there, because this is good. Because after this, we fulfill one of the most profound obligations in Judaism. We go eat. (laughs) So before we go eat, Rabbi, can you just say something to the
1: world? Well, it's interesting. In Hebrew, the Hebrew language is such a holy language. It's the language with which God creates the world. And every word and letter has so much carries so much meaning and so much depth. The Hebrew word for exile, the last topic we discussed, yes. is gola. gola. The Hebrew word for redemption is gaula, redemption. Okay. The same letters. There's only one difference. Gaula, redemption, has an aleph. An aleph. Aleph is one. Meaning, all it takes is one person. One deed, not only in action, even in speech, even in thought, a positive attitude. That's all it takes to tip the scale and bring redemption to the whole world. What a wonderful way to live if every one of us walked around all day and every day, 365 days a year, and walked around just with this thought that the whole world is on an equal scale and all it takes is doing one good deed and I could be the, that one that can tip the scale and be, to reach, in order to allow the world to reach that critical mass, the accumulation of all the sacrifices and all the heroic sacrifices over thousands of years. And all it takes is that one good deed to tip the scale and create that critical mass where the whole world will suddenly awaken and turn on the light and transform human consciousness and usher in Mashiach. If every one of us lived with that awesome privilege and responsibility, and each and every one of us took one baby step forward and pushed ourselves to do one extra mitzvah. It's not a quantity thing, it's a quality thing. Every one of us just growing, climbing the ladder, just doing one more good deed, another act of goodness and kindness. If we lived with that thought and acted upon that thought, this entire world would be completely transformed. And Mashiach would become a practical reality. Thank you, Henry. Thank you, Stephen, for uh, the just opportunity. Thing,
0: the voices of the children that you hear behind us are intentional because we live our lives and we make the world so that the children should be blessed. And having heard Rabbi Krasnyansky talk, you have been blessed. Thank you for watching.
1: Thank you so much.